Welcome to Crossfire Faith in Gaming. I'm one of your hosts, Russ Dornish. And in today's episode, we'll be exploring the intersection of AI and ethics in the gaming industry. From game design to player experience, AI is playing an increasingly important role in our world. Today, we'll be discussing the potential benefits and drawbacks of using AI and where we see it going in the future. All coming at you next. Welcome to today's podcast. We have an exciting topic for you. Uh, the AI revolution is happening. Uh, if you haven't heard of things like chat GPT, uh, or mid journey or any of the other AI tools out there, AI is transforming our world. Uh, many of you probably have heard of AI through games where you talk about playing against an AI that's either fighting against you very well, or perhaps not so well. Um, but today we're going to jump in a little bit to AI, the ethics, the unexpected outcomes, uh, how it's involved in games. But uh, I'm going to actually kick this one, Brian, over to you because um, you're a programmer, right? So tell us a little bit just about like, like what is AI? Oh, man, that's a big topic. Uh, <laughs> AI has been around for a while. I mean, it stands for artificial intelligence. It really breaks down into a bunch of different categories. I think a lot of people think of what, what's in the industry called uh, general AI, um, which basically means like an AI that sort of thinks and acts kind of like a human and can do a number of different tasks. Uh, but AI, like, you know, in industry... Uh, in the past, especially, has been sort of limited to particular domains, right? It's been limited in um, specific areas where it's been used. Games is one of those uh, where we've seen various heuristic AIs and other AI strategies in terms of uh, presenting the player with something that they can play against um, that's driving the action. Uh, and is behaving in a semi-intelligent way um, and is often uh, somewhat unpredictable, right? Um, although I, I think a lot of people, you know, they think there's more going on than there really is, especially in older games uh, where AI really just amounts to a bunch of rules that are taking place. <laughs> okay, so I, I was just going to say, quick AI story. Um I remember this game forever ago called Chips Challenge. Have you, either one of you ever played Chips Challenge? Um, What's well, this 2D game? You're in blocks. You kind of go up, down, left, right. And there were different bugs that acted differently. Some of them always followed the wall to their left. Some of them always followed the wall to their right. Some of them were balls that bounced back and forth. And to me, that was the first time I ever saw kind of like enemies having rules and seeing like, okay, this enemy always behaves this way. Therefore I know how to compete against it. Is that kind of what we're talking about getting into AI? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very sort of simplistic version of AI. And I think when we are talking about older games, that's the sort of AI you're talking about, right? You're talking about just something that allows the game again, to behave in a somewhat intelligent way and seem like it's you know, there's things going on. There's sort of thinking taking place, if you will. But recently what we've seen, so so 
in terms of AI, historically, we went through what's called the AI winter, uh, where the expectations that we had for AI far outstripped what we could act, what it could actually do. Uh, and for the most part, that was just like the strategies and especially the compute power really held us back in terms of what AI was able to accomplish in the past. But what we've seen recently in the direction I wanted to go uh, is that in recent years, like within the past two to three years mostly, we've seen new forms of AI crop up that can do things that are unexpected. And after having gone through the AI winter, we're now faced with AI that's actually capable of doing some of the things that we were talking about in 60s and 70s computer literature. Uh, so oh, it's so what really you're, a game changer. So what you're saying, Brian, is that Skynet is inevitable. <laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think that so the early AI literature, I think, was often uh, positive. Right. It looked at AI as something that was really going to do great things. And then we saw later um, we saw art around AI, specifically like narratives, movies, and so forth, started to get really dystopian. Uh, and we started thinking about broader applications of AI that were harmful or, or bad. Yeah. Okay. So, so now, now we're, now we're faced with, we, we don't know the outcome and I, th I think we're hoping that it's, you know, it's better rather than worse. All right, so I think the first place to start on this is the ethics of AI. Um, yep. And yeah. how do we use AI in an ethical way? What's fair in terms of AI usage? Well, um, this, is, this has been a question that I have been asking recently now that I've kind of been messing around with chat GP and just the ability to, like, tell it to throw things together and it puts out this very nicely worded structured whatever i want like even dave and i were messing around with it one day and i was like hey dave let's see what it says if we throw tell it to throw together a sermon you know and so my question is and, and i'd ask you guys is like because i know that there are there are programs that are being programmed now and 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 like opponent ai that are out there to kind of help combat the use of ai in like schools and things like that but I'm assuming that nobody in your church, Dave, is going to throw your sermon into a AI to see if Dave is not using chat GP for his sermons. So like what, when it comes to that, like what, what are the ethics with this? Like, is it okay that we use this? And, you know, I mean, obviously if I use it and I pass it off as my own, that's a lie. And so really I'm just cheating myself in that way there's not necessarily a way for somebody to find out that I am, but now it also just kind of, you know, brings the question about, you know, do we be skeptical? What does that look like? How should we be using AI? What, what are yeah. the different things? Dave, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I have a number of thoughts and I think some of this comes down to a question uh, you mentioned copyright and yeah, this is a, a conversations that's happening all the time in the art world right now, because people are saying, okay, if you generate art with, uh, mid journey, for instance, is an AI art generator is one of the first AI things that I interact with that really blew my mind. 
somebody told me about it and I said, okay, well, it's just probably pulling, pulling images off the web and it is referencing those, but it's, it's not, it's generating truly original work. So the question becomes is prompting it to generate something. Is it doing the generating or is it the tool like a brush that the artist is using? And so by the artist choosing to use a different brush or the artist, you know, so for instance, in chat GPT or in uh, mid journey, the question is what prompt are you giving it and what output are you expecting? And in my mind, the question then becomes how are you using it in terms of generating uh, large long form content and passing that truly as your own, or I'll tell you the one place that I used it, which was, um, I actually used it for Christmas Eve. I said, I really feel like I want something to explain to people the, um, the beauty and the importance of a Christmas carols and lessons service. But I just, I don't have the words right now. So I went to chat GPT and I said, um, give me something, uh, give me a litany I can use in a United Methodist Christmas Eve service to explain what the carols and lessons uh, service style is that has traditionally been used in Christmas Eve services. And it output something that was very beautifully written, but also kind of referenced a lot of stuff that was out there to bring that all together. So I felt like, you know, for me to pass that off as my own work, was it my own work? Well, I wrote the prompt. I told it what I wanted. And also, I don't think anybody's going to worry about the copyright of this. You know, it wasn't even a litany. It was a, a description, <laughs> you know, like, like write a description of a mouse with three heads, you know, and, and is that a copywritten work? I don't know. So, I mean, there's, there's that whole question, I think on the ethics side, certainly in terms of the ethics from copyright, um, and Brian, I'd also be fascinated to get into like the moral dilemmas side of AI, you know, where, and I, I know we're probably not going to go deep into like cars, but the question of, um, you know, moral dilemmas, if a car has to kill the driver to save the most people around, will it make that decision? Right. And those kind of difficult moral dilemma situations, uh, or like the thing I saw today on a video online, it talked about the, I think it's called the Mansfield bar on the bottom of a truck that apparently school buses don't have that bar that's there to prevent people from being terribly injured if they hit the back of the truck. But school buses don't have that. Why? Because it's actually better that the driver be injured and not injure all of the kids on the school bus or hit the school bus as a relatively light vehicle into the kids in front of it and instead cause harm to the driver. So that's, that's a moral dilemma and a choice that's been made we're trusting self-driving cars to make life and death decisions. How do we trust the morals of AI and is it ethical to use AI and what is the copyright implication? None of which we're going to solve on this podcast, but they're all challenging things to think about. <laughs> Ultimately, my question would be how much do you trust the thing it is that you're using? Whether it's a car or a text generator or an art generator. And what are the um, potential harms that could come from giving it too much trust? So I, I'll, I'll kick yeah. it back to you. Sorry. I, I think we'll find that out fairly shortly because you did see that, that those several of those art companies are suing um, the AI art generator. 
because it was found out that it does input um, specific artist style um, and that's how it generates. And so because of that, they are going for copyright infringement on it. So we will find out shortly if it holds up in court or not. If it does, then obviously we've got to, they'll have to change the way that AI operates. Um, they've already talked about uh, allowing artists to opt out of the ability for their art to be used as reference work within the AI, which I think is a good start. But then the question is, okay, well, every artist should opt out then. So what what's the AI going to use at that point? You know, does the AI company or the AI itself need to pay a royalty or or pay, you know, artists a small fee to be on their platform? Because I'm sure a lot of artists would be like, I'm not making any money off my art right now. Sure, give me a hundred bucks to right. to use me for this. But I, I think we'll find that out very shortly of what that's going to look like. And ultimately, the AI is only good as what it learns and what you teach it, right? So if I say to the AI, you know, propose a utopian society, that's going to be very different depending on what it has learned from where about what a utopian society is. You know, it might in one instance output, you know, here's this beautiful uh, libertarian society where each person is on their own and, and everybody has, you know, there's no big government. And, you know, on the other hand, it says, well, here's big government and socialism and, you know, depending on what it's learned, whether it's watched, you know, one television station or the other, um, which then does beg the question of what is it we're feeding it to get the results we get, which is, I think, one yeah, of the I potential the first... harms. Sorry, go on. No, that's fine. I think the first test of this is probably going to be the class action lawsuit uh, against Microsoft and GitHub Copilot, which is the uh, the AI that Microsoft has created to help programmers generate code. Um, and it was trained against uh, essentially GitHub's entire uh, code base. So GitHub if you don't know is, well, it's, it's a number of things, but one of the primary things it is, is a repository for uh, software developers to store their software and share it. Um, and so essentially GitHub has a lot of code on it, a lot of code on it. Uh, and my understanding is Microsoft has used that entire code base to train this programming tool uh, that people can use to give it prompts and say, hey, write me a program that does X, Y, Z. Um, and everything on Microsoft GitHub is, is being open sued, source, right? No, that's oh, okay. the key. Mm. Uh, GitHub has what are called private repos as well. So you can have private repositories that are not shared. This is proprietary code used by businesses. And, and the, lots of those are businesses you know that are in the Fortune 500 have their code stored on GitHub. Um, so this is proprietary code. Uh, and the issue comes to uh, the license for that code and whether GitHub Copilot, the tool, generates code that's nearly identical to the input. Um, and so there's at least one well, you know, pretty well-documented case where someone had a very specific uh, problem domain. So in other words, they, they, they created a program that did something very, very specific and they were able to use GitHub Copilot to input a prompt that basically re, uh, gave them exactly the same code uh, that I believe was GPL license. It was not a, it was not a license that would allow you to just freely use it. 
Um, and so that's where the lawsuit is coming from is like, if the output is similar enough, so this is kind of the question that I'm going to pose to you guys. What if, and this is for art and for everything else as well, but you know, is it unethical for the AI, if it produces output that's nearly identical to something that an artist created or that, you know, a programmer created or a writer created? Well, this to me gets into the question of, um, kind of like the million monkeys and typewriters scenario. But if you were to take that to its logical conclusion and say, you know, if you have a room full of unlimited monkeys and unlimited typewriters, not only would they eventually perhaps produce the entire works of Shakespeare, you may also have at one point where multiple monkeys create the same thing on their typewriter at the same time, unknowing each other. Right, this happens in music all the time, just because of the rules of how music is created. Um, this happens sometimes in stories. You know, you see it in in other works of art, where you say, "Well, this is really similar to that." I don't know which was created first. I, one of the first things I asked the Chat GPT to do was to write me a Christmas song, and it wrote, "You know, dashing through the snow on a one horse open sleigh or the fields," and I was like write me an original Christmas song. Like, you know, at what point does somebody type in something like, you know, write me a Christmas song and it produces something and they go, this is great. I'm going to record it. Well, too bad. You're just recording a copyrighted work. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, I think a major challenge, uh, with that kind of stuff. Like what if I went to the, the, um, the repository you talked about and said, you know, write me a piece of software that could execute a trade in the instance where such and such stock falls below such, you know, and before you know it, I've just actually regenerated some bank's code that's running on their server. That's a block away from wall street to make some AI trade that, you know, they've spent millions of dollars developing this AI trading thing. And I just had an AI write it for me because it was trained on that repository. I don't know. That's, that's deep. Russ. I mean, I can't say better than that. I mean, <laughs> I just want to keep going at that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, All and right. I think that let's, I, I was going to say dude. to the art piece, right? The other question, like I said before is what is it learning? Uh, you know, so if it's learning based on, you know, it says, uh, create me art that looks like Jackson Pollock. And if it just recreates a Jackson Pollock painting, because that's what it knows, um, you know, I would hope eventually we get to the point where it's creative enough, where much in the same way that if I were to tell you create a Jackson Pollock painting, you go in your mind you think about every Jackson Pollock painting you've ever seen. You know some rules you learned in art class about what makes a Jackson Pollock a Jackson Pollock. Um, or, you know, okay, we're going to do an Andy Warhol, uh, you know, uh, tomato soup cans. And you know what Andy Warhol's art looks like. So you create something very, very similar. Does that mean that you've ripped off Andy Warhol? Or are you creating something in his style? And that goes... That goes back to the whole idea of, you know, everything is, there's nothing's original ever. <laughs> nothing's original in the world at this point. Like everything has some aspect of something else within it and used within it. And so 
then the idea is okay so can anything really truly be a copy then at that point because you're always taking you know little bits and pieces or 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 aspects or themes from other people that have created so you can get quite deep with this and i don't know if we can ever well, me, i mean there's obvious answers to it but yeah let me see if i can take us into the next topic which is the question of perhaps intent right so like if it's my intent to emulate um one of the ai generated things i saw was uh create a paint a street art of snoop dog in the style of basquiat it was really good like it looked so good but it was clearly not attempting to be a basquiat painting right it was imitating a style uh, or you know you could even say at some point a parody so if i put on a deep fake face and pretend to be tom cruise because I'm making a funny video about Tom Cruise or weird Al makes a song in the style of Coolio because he's parodying Coolio. That's okay. But he can't get up there and say, hello, my name is Coolio and start singing Coolio's song. So, you know, some of the stuff out there, like the, the deep fake face stuff or the voices, um, I feel like, okay, if I were to use it to try to like pretend to be SpongeBob, that'd be funny. But if I use it to create a video that makes it look like I'm Barack Obama and I say something he didn't say and post it claiming that it was really him, then I've crossed the line. But that line is so hard to define that the question is, do we dare tiptoe? And once Pandora's box of that particular AI software is available, you can't put it back in the box. Yeah, there's even deeper implications too. Um, I'm thinking of a book by Heinlein called uh, "The Moon: The Moon Is a Harsh Mistress," uh, where an AI is able to create a person who never existed, uh, and it is able to essentially be that person to everyone. In other words, it can broadcast a face and a voice, and not only could it imitate anyone it wanted to, but it can also just make up a person from whole cloth. Uh, and that, that book has, you, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, but again, that casts back that, that book is, you know, relatively old. Um, and it casts back to the way we were thinking about AI before we sort of ran into an AI roadblock. And I think some of those, you know, some of those stories are going to be useful in terms of, we need to start thinking as a society about the implications of really powerful AIs. Well, and not that we can create real people yet, but I'm, have you seen the unreal meta human stuff? Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I feel like I thought we had talked about it before. Just Google AI or, uh, Epic unreal meta human. Okay. So I'm going to pull it over here just really quick onto the thing. I'm going to show everybody on the podcast. This is, what I'm talking about. If you go Google unreal metahuman, they have created these fake people that through, you know, uh, I don't know if they're AI generated or if they're, you know, humans generate them, but the, these are just 3d models that are not real people, but in the videos, they are indistinguishable from real people. I mean, we are now to that point where it is I would have to go pixel peeping on eyelashes to see if, you know, are these real eyelashes or, you know, is that real skin? Are there pores? Does this person have zits? I don't know. 
Um, so we're already at that point fingers. where, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> like was, was that a, um, was that a Gattaca reference that you just No, it's, um, okay. Uh, no. <laughs> have uh, you seen Gattaca? AI. I have not, but AI, some, some of these AI images, like when AI is, is generating pictures of humans, mm. fingers are like a well-known issue currently. I'm sure that won't stay that way, but it's like, getting better. We yeah. see a lot of, yeah, we see a lot of images where like, there's just weird stuff going on with hands that like the AI doesn't understand <laughs> like how hands work. I thought you were referencing Gattaca at one point in the film that they, they talk about this person is playing a the piano with 12 fingers. And of course everybody is like biologically perfect, but this person was born with, with 12 fingers. And the comment is, well, that piece that they played can only be played with 12. Um, anyway. So the question becomes, right. What are, and I think overall, like what are the, the benefits and what are the possible worst outcomes? Oh man, we should, we should, not go into the worst outcomes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, okay. So what if, you know, what if Vladimir Putin dies, but he's replaced only in video by AI videos and AI generated voices and is telling people to do things. And they think it's him because they have no reason not to trust it. I mean, I, I yep. was thinking these things back when we were in COVID. I mean, not that I thought that they were happening, but I thought, gosh, you know, if we get to the point where everybody's doing everything over video, um, then how do you know if the person on the other side of the call is really there, um, you know, or is really themselves at one point, yep. just to run an experiment based on a video that I had seen, I actually attended an entire zoom call entirely using a pre-recorded version of myself. That just sat there, nodded, blinked. I took that recording. I put it in OBS. I used it as a virtual cam. I pulled the virtual cam into Zoom. Nobody knew. So I could have had an assistant run the video of me during the Zoom call and take notes while I could have been in the Bahamas. You know, I wasn't. I was just on a conference call, but... <laughs> yeah, it's but again, interesting. It comes down again. to trust. Right. It's, it's interesting again, to call back to some of the ways we were thinking about AI in the early going. Um, a lot of people are probably familiar with the Turing test, which is this idea of like, it's, it's a, it's a computer science concept of, Hey, I've got a person in a room and I've got maybe a person in another room and the test, the idea is like, Hey, what if I put a computer in this room that's actually talking to you? Can the human that's in this room, can they tell the difference just from the text output of, uh, you know, of the computer? Can they tell the difference between whether there's a human in that room yeah. and a computer in that room? And what's interesting now that we have AI that's really good at generating natural language, there's some debate now as to whether that test, we, I think, as computer scientists, we always thought, oh yeah, this is the, this test makes total sense as to whether, you know, we've really generated an AI or like whether this thing is qualifies as an AI or not. But now that we have things that do generate output, that's really just, you know, 
exactly or very, very close to what a human would generate. Now we're like, well, maybe that test isn't, you know, maybe it isn't that useful or maybe it really doesn't tell us whether this is AI. The the line of whether something is an AI feels like it's always moving. And we're already having these interactions all the time with, I tried to sell something on Facebook marketplace the other day. I got a response that was, I'm very interested. I'd like to give you money right now. And I'm like, okay. Um, how's your weekend going? Good. Please give me money right now. Click here, you know, or something like that. And I'm, and then I'm like, are you a person? Yes, I am a person. Please give me money now. It's like, you know, like, I don't know. Are you a person in some other country who's just trying to scam me? Or like, are you an AI? And, and there's probably this fine line between in the Venn diagram of, of uh, poor interpretation of languages uh, versus well implemented AIs that there's probably a blurring. It's, yeah, it's this, funny. This though. feels like oh, I'm, I'm going to, I got a quick little story. Um, <laughs> this feels like the, uh, the park ranger dilemma that we hear about. Whereas uh, it turns out that the, uh, the, the overlap between the smartest human or the, the dumbest human and the smartest bear is like, like pretty tough in terms of, you know, getting into the trash and so on. It's, you know, there's some pretty smart bears and then, you know, people actually need to be able to use the trash receptacle. So it can't be like too complicated or people can't use it anyway. Sorry. I, I totally destroyed that joke, but <laughs> I'll let you go. Russ. I'll let you go on. Well, I was going to say that that brings up, of course, the classic movie Blade Runner and the the testing that is used in that to determine who is who is technically, you know, rogue AI and and who's actually human um, and the questions that come up with that. But, you know, maybe that's the direction we're going in a society. We're going to have to start thinking about ways to trick AI to be able to out itself, I guess, to to things because again it goes back to our original original topic which was the idea of copyright and all that of you know how are we going to figure out that all this is happening as we become more and more i mean it's getting to the point where you know again chat gpt is a very powerful tool that um offers a lot of stuff but also offers a lot of dilemma in society and you know we're we're definitely going to be going down that road and in that direction well, and All right, so to, I'm gonna to, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead, and then then I'll then I'll launch the next thing. I was gonna I was gonna go into the next thing, but you go ahead and go into it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna propose one more deep topic, and then I think we'll try and ground this at the yep. end with uh, with you know we'll actually try and bring bring this back into games. Uh, but the next thing I wanted to talk about was unexpected outcomes of AI. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit about long haul trucking versus art. Uh, and so I think, I think you both have seen this on the document. You're probably wondering what I'm talking about here. So there's been a lot of talk about self-driving cars and the implications to the transportation industry, right? Specifically long haul trucking, right? Which employs a lot of people. We, we have a lot of truckers out there who, um, you know, that's their, that's their job and it pays reasonably well here in the U S. Um, and the early talk, a lot of the early talk that I saw about AI taking people's jobs 
was in this specific area, long haul trucking, right? Oh man, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, all the truckers and taxi drivers are going to be out of a job. What's going to happen? This is going to like over, this is going to overturn our entire society. And what's been interesting to me has been that actually that's been a lot slower to happen than I think a lot of people would have thought, right? It turns out that like, driving a car or especially a big, big truck is really hard. And there's a lot of edge cases. There's a recent video. If you want to go look it up about Tesla, uh, their, their, um, full self-driving thing, trying to drive in the snow and doing a hilariously bad job. Um, <laughs> because snow's hard to drive in guys. And, and it turned, you know, it hasn't probably been trained a lot, in terms of driving in snow, but it's just, it's just really bad at it. It has trouble even though, uh, you know, even under regular, you know, more normal or dry driving conditions as well. Um, and there was a lot of talk about, you know, especially from like Elon Musk about like, yeah, it's coming. It's right around the corner. We've just about got this problem solved. And it seems like every time that we think that like there's a new problem in it, it, it just, it's a very tough problem to crack. Whereas we've seen these other implementations of AI, right? You've mentioned chat D GPT, Russ, uh, and we've, we've talked about mid journey and, and some of the other art generators and they're surprisingly good, right? I mean, all of a sudden they're generating stuff. That's like, Hey, this is not bad. Right. Um, and so that's what I'm talking about in terms of unexpected outcomes of AI. And I think that's going to continue to happen, that we're going to see AI be like amazing at some things uh, that we didn't expect. And then other things that we thought, oh yeah, AI is going to be able to do this, no problem. <laughs> like it actually turns out to be a lot harder than we thought. But yeah, I don't know if you guys have anywhere to go what, from there, oh, but I'll, I've I'll got, throw it out and see what you got. I've got a ton of well, Go ahead, Russ. When it, when it comes to that and what you're saying, too, I wonder if some of our expectations just come from, like, again, going back, you know, 20, 30 years, where are we supposed to be in the future? So, you know, our thoughts are, well, you know, we're going to have uh, housemaids and we're going to have, you know, robotic housemaids or, uh, you know, thinking like the Jetsons and things like that of the 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 future that we had projected out long ago i wonder if that's kind of where some of those expectations come from and the reason why we get you know unexpected outcomes when it comes to ais is because it's things that we didn't think about of like oh an ai can do that and do it really well i.e generating art for you i.e uh being a brainstormer honestly like i see chat gpt like dave said you know um, my, my wife has done the same thing where she was like, you know, having writer's block. And she was just like, I have no idea. Here's my topic this week. And I have no idea where to begin. And I'm like, okay, throw it in the chat GPT say, Hey, give me an outline, at least get me going, get the juices flowing, get ideas going, and then I'll do my thing. And, you know, it's able to do that. Did we ever think that that was what AI was going to be used for? No, you know, that's not, that's not in the, in the terms of what we probably would call it sexy in the ai world or it's like yeah that's what we want ai because could you think 20 years ago like in science fiction movies like that you're watching back to the future they go to the future they're like oh yeah we got ai and it tells us you know it it does art for us and it tells us what what we should write about it's like 
that wouldn't be cool in a movie. What would be cool is self-driving cars or the automated, you know, car that gets you from point point A to point B on like a transit system because all the cars are on a grid like um, artificial intelligence, the movie or um, heck, all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's like futuristic movies like like uh, gosh, I can't even put the names right now. But the one the, the one where you get. Well, that one, yes, but I'm oh, talking no. about some of his more obscure ones. You guys remember the movie mm. with with Arnold, where they have clones and you can get cloned, and then at one point, like he passes out, wakes up, goes home, and he sees himself living his life, and it's because he was replaced by a clone. But then you don't know who's the clone, and there's no way to tell. Just saying, like that movie has like automated cars and all of these crazy AI things that you can do with it, and it's like. That was all expected because that's, you know, that's what we thought of the future. But that's really not where we're at. I mean, we don't have flying cars. We don't have mass transit systems, you know, connected via AI. You know, we're, we're a lot be- more behind than our past selves would like to say. So I had to look it up. Is it the sixth day? Is that what you're, you're talking about? Maybe. Maybe. Be, I think yeah. I, I remember the poster. <laughs> okay. uh, I'll look it up and see if it, I'll confirm. Okay. Well, so I think there's a couple things going on here. Number one, I think is there's always the, the, like you said, the sexy thing that is, you know, the dream thing we want, right? AI self-driving cars. Wouldn't that be amazing as a convenience? But then there's the, you know, same thing like with robotics. You think, gosh, robots would be so cool if they could, you know, carry gear on the battlefield or, you know, whatever. What do robots do? We use them for surgery and we use them to weld cars on the production line and we use them to defuse bombs, which is cool. Um, but I think the other thing is the question of what's at risk, right? So like the self-driving car thing fascinates me to no end because the, not only what we talked about earlier, the ethics of it, but also the false tolerance. Here's the crazy thing. We would rather have people drive cars where, you know, 5% of the people driving cars get in fatal accidents than have self-driving cars where even one kills someone, right? So statistically speaking, what I've seen, and maybe I'm wrong, there's probably new studies out there. Somebody's going to correct me. Statistically speaking, I think self-driving cars are actually safer than people-driven cars, The problem is if even one causes a death, we are not willing to tolerate that on the flip side, you know, chat GPT mid journey, like meh, there might be some copyright issues, but like nobody's dying because of mid journey art. Nobody's losing their life because like, you know, you're not going to chat GPT, like write me a ransom note, (laughs) like, you know? Um, and, and quite frankly, even if you did, like, I think at one point my kids were like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool? Like, let's ask it for a plot of a movie with like bank robbers or something like that. And it was like, I can't, I can't generate like violent content or something like that. Um, so I was like, okay, so there's some limit, right? There's some boundaries. Um, but, but I do think it's a question of what's at stake and what are we willing to tolerate when it comes to RAI? Um, it's very easy to say, I'm going to tolerate an AI in a video game that may, act a certain way, may give me some benefit, may give me some sort of uh, edge or may just make the game more interesting to play. Totally different when you're talking about long haul trucking, possibly either people losing their jobs 
or, you know, long haul trucking. And suddenly this tanker truck full of fuel drives into, you know, a, a pile up on the freeway because it thinks it's going to save 40 kids in a school bus. Come to find out the school bus was empty. Yeah. Yep. It's a great point, David. So what all are, right. What should about we move games? on? Yeah. Let's, how does, let's how does all this ground this? <laughs> I mean, the, the big thing with video games that we can see is I think it has been the evolution of AI and video games. Like video games are becoming more and more realistic. They're becoming more and more um, applicable and honestly, in my opinion, enjoyable. And a lot of that has to do with the AI that, that, developers are able to write and we are about to see by the way a complete revolution when it comes to ai and video games with things like unreal engine 5 the things that that system has already built into it is going to shorten development times it's going to create more and more complex games it's going to create prettier games overall it's going to bring all these different things to us that i think we aren't prepared for you know, everybody's been waiting, I think, for the next gen of games. Let's be honest. Like, some games have been gorgeous. Some games have been really good looking. I I don't feel like we've had yet that game that really blows you away as far as, like, this game is 100% next gen. It's what I expected. I have a feeling that one of the biggest aspects to when we really hit that is going to be AI and video games. I think getting it to the point where your your npc characters your enemies are extremely smart extremely knowledgeable know what they're doing know what they need to do um gives you that really real experience almost too real maybe i'm wondering you know how the difficulty level is going to get on games when we get to that point but i'm very interested to see that where we go from as far as games go with the evolution of ai that i feel is coming and coming very soon. I, I we're we're months away from that to start. I don't even remember, Dave. Do, do you know what the first like games that'll be on Unreal Five are? We've only had Unreal Fortnite Five for less than a year. on Unreal Five, isn't it? It might just be though for I mean, like a it doesn't look upgrade. cinematic. It's, but it's not. I'm pretty it's sure it's full, on. My point is, it's not a fully developed game for Unreal Five. They just ported it over which is going to get you some of the better features, but it's not an Unreal 5 game. I'm talking about the first fully developed game for Unreal 5 and when we might expect to see those. Um, Because, again, that came out what? I just want to play the demo. That demo that came out? I was like, let me fly around in that thing. Well, and I guess you could say, is it UE5? Is the the Matrix demo? Yeah, that was the official first demo, but... Boy, was yeah. that insane. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying is as we are moving into this, like, we are going to see some crazy stuff. Right. And that, that mostly to me is more graphical. Um, and I'm curious, Brian, maybe you know this answer because um, I don't remember. Like, th- I'm thinking way back for a second into AI versus <laughs> people history. Like, like, are there uh, how's the AI versus people chess match going? Like, does AI always win now? Do people sometimes win? I was actually thinking about this the other day, and and I don't know the answer, but, um, you know, the the way that AI sort of won the chess war was really more of a brute force 
It's right. not the kind of AIs that we're really grappling with now, these chat GPTs and so on. Um, and I would be curious if we built a chess AI using these techniques, these sort of machine learning techniques, I wonder if that would be able to quickly be as good or surpass what we saw with like Deep Blue versus Kasparov, right? Right. Um, so like that's Deep kind of Blue versus question. Chat GPT. I'd be like, I'd be like, dear chat GPT, I have a pawn at a one, like, you know, whatever. Describe and it just describe the whole board. board. Where should I move? <laughs> I'm sure somebody out there is probably think, already I doing think this. Actually, I think actually machine learning probably would be good at that, right? It's, it's really good at pattern matching. Yeah. Um, and well, so, or would it, would it end up deciding that the best route it could take was a brute force attack? Because at the end of the day, it's, and, and it build, comes down to numbers and build a deep and, blue style AI with right, like your AI would just a build a, <laughs> it would build its own AI. So I was just about to say, building hard drives. I just uh, I just looked up some of the AI information within Unreal Engine five, and for instance, this is something I didn't even think about. Again, going to the unexpected that we were just talking about. There is an AI plugin for Unreal Engine 5 that can recreate and generate a copy of the world within Unreal Engine 5. Wow. So, like, I'm not even thinking about the art aspect. Like, so what this could possibly do again, because we talked about this and, and I said this just a moment ago, it is going to lower the cost of games severely. And by that, I mean, we have gotten to the point where games are ballooning in prices. It costs a lot to develop a game. We have lost what I like to call those B-level or single-A-level games. Like, we have indies. Right. But you guys remember, like, back in, like, the 2000s, the 90s, the 2000s, you had those B-level, like, just one-off games. They weren't great, but they weren't bad. They were just existed to kind of fill the void throughout the year as you waited for the really big titles. Um, I'm wondering if because of the tools that an Unreal Engine 5 brings and the ability to just plug it in, like I, I've listed it and I've been looking, they have, you know, easy AI simulators for animals that you just pop in. You push a button and it's going to load their AI into what an animal is supposed to act. So all of this could be done by one person. They could They could create a simple middle of the road game and release it for 20 bucks and see how it does without, you know, as much of a sweat. I didn't well, even think I, about I, I that. I want to make an analogy and a prediction because of that. The analogy is to photography. Okay. Yeah. For a long time in photography, the biggest difference between professionals and amateurs had to do with equipment, right? If you didn't have the right equipment, you could not go out and be a professional photographer. And over time, we've gotten to the point now where your iPhone takes better pictures than the best digital cameras 10 years ago. And yet what we're seeing is because the level of acceptable has come up and become so easy and become so accessible, that means that to be a professional, you have to actually have a good eye. So I'm hopeful that by bringing these tools that bring the level of acceptable up so it's so easy to attain acceptable graphics, acceptable AI, et cetera, that we'll probably have a ton of terrible games because people are like, oh man, I've got this awesome tool. The same way you had a ton of photographers that said, man, I went out and bought the greatest camera and then their photographs were still crap. But 
we're going to see people that start doing that. And then the response I think is going to be, we're actually going to have a resurgence of, of great story and great characters because that's what will be necessary to rise above the noise. Definitely. And I think, I think we'll see that from the big, big boys, like the, the normal teams out there that are putting together massive games, they'll be able to continue that stuff. But I just meant, you know, seeing kind of those middle of the tier games that don't need all that. That's just kind of a filler. Um, One thing I want to point out. So this is what it says here on UE five's website. Um, new features in UE5 give you the ability to create more believable AI agents than ever before. Mass Entity provides a framework for dev- uh, data-oriented calculations that can be used where performance is key, including the simulations of tens of thousands of AI agents in a single scene. In addition, there are Smart Objects, a collection of objects placed in a level that AI agents and players can interact with. This system is easily configurable and can add an unprecedented level of interactivity to your scenes. That's just some of the stuff that they have going on. So again, think about that with like the ability to do tens of thousands of AI generated humans in a setting. You know what game I'm thinking of right off the top of my head? I'm thinking of Grand Theft Auto 6 and the idea that, you know, you're going to have a fully living, breathing world going on around you without the kind of repetitiveness that you sometimes see where if you play a game long enough, you're going to see the same AI over. You're going to see the same NPC characters. You're going to see them doing the same actions over and over. This is going to be completely like a real world that you can play in and do whatever you want. So again, I I think this is going to be a huge step towards the future and we're only seeing a, a small tidbit of it in the, the different AI uh, applications that we have available to us as far as gaming goes the yeah the future is looking extremely bright and i think ai is yeah, a great think- benefit for single player narrative games but i think where where it can be problematic is if ai were to like get into a multiplayer games you know the bots um you know which which can be problematic although i know like the the question got we have in the document talking about uh bots in Fortnite. You know, I remember my daughter's first time loading into Fortnite and she was so excited that she had won battle Royale. And I thought you're seven. Like, how did you? And then I read up and read that, Oh, the very first time you drop in, it's a hundred percent bots you're playing against. So, you know, there's bots that might make the player feel better and be good for training. There's bots that make the worlds more interesting and more believable, but then there's also the potential for bots that could cause harm or could infiltrate, you know, so I think there is the the good, bad, ugly, all around that uh, is challenging for the future, and I, and I don't know that we're going to solve it today. But I just realized we're we're getting deep into the fifty minutes here, and uh, we might have to wrap this up and continue this. You know, maybe we do a follow up in like a year or two and say, you know, here's what we Where thought we before wanna... before AI took over the world. Bring us. I want to drop a couple more. Yeah, I want to drop a couple more grounded questions in here that maybe we can cover really quickly. Um, and then I think we'll we'll wrap up here. But um, David, you were just touching on bots in Fortnite and you and I both play Rocket League. Uh, and one of the things that has come up recently in Rocket League is the infiltration of a new AI bot uh, that is has been showing up in ranked play. Um, and the bot is really good. It's definitely better than you and me. <laughs> well, that's not, uh, and so now it's trouble. Now, now, uh, the whole community is trying to grapple with this bot. That's really good at rocket league. Uh, 
<laughs> so I don't know what the outcome of this will be, but I do not think this will be the last game that we see all of a sudden uh, AIs showing up in rank play. I think this is something, this is just the first shot o- across the bow. The the big thing that I'll say is we're kind of already experiencing that anyway with cheating and um, the different AI like cheat codes and things that you can, you know, aim bots, things like that. So the gaming industry has been dealing with it already for a number of years. Um, and I think, you know, they're they're starting to implement things to combat that. I think we'll see that more and more. For me, I'm like, you know, really, what does it give you? Like, yeah, I climb up the ranks and I'm like a top ranked player. But if I get invited to some like invitational as a result, I'm not going to be able to load that bot in and play live using that bot. So like, go for it. Use it. Climb the leaderboards, you know, get that digital gold medal that means absolutely nothing. I will stick to my single player games, Brian, and I will enjoy them. And when I when I go out into the world of multiplayer every now and then, like I do, um, I will still lose whether I'm playing a bot or a human. And that's all that I care about. But for me, it's like, yeah, that you're not going to get anything out of it, actually. So, you know, if people want to take the time to do that and not play the game, that's on them for, like, not getting to enjoy the actual part of playing the video game and having something else do it. Yeah, I think it'd be neat for the ability to, you know, let's say you just put one of them in and you say, look, y'all are out there. You got, you know, 99 humans and one bot. See how you do. Um, If it was (laughs) obvious that it was a bot and not somebody you know, masquerading as a bot. I also think it'd be neat. So somebody who's really, really good could train against something else. That's really, really, really good. Uh, you know, there are certain games where you go, all right, I'm going to do the, the training mode. And you're like, well, this is just way too easy. Yeah. This is nothing like playing yeah, I know that- real players online. I know like I played the division and man, I was great at the division. And then I went into the place with other people online and I got slaughtered. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, this is not even close. Yeah, it's a great point, David. Um, I, two two things off of that. I think this opens up the possibility of bots being trained at specific levels. So like, for instance, if you could play offline in Rocket League and like train against a, like if you were a bronze player and you just trained against a silver bot in say 1v1, that would really be helpful for you to just like, hey, you know, I don't have the pressure of ranked, but I can just play something that, you know, matches the way people play the play in a styles. specific rank. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then the other thing is, if you're at the very, very top end, I know this is an issue for like uh, Rocket League pros, right? Where there's just not many people at the level that they're at. And so it can be tough at times for them to find an opponent or, or you know, other players who are at their level so that they can continue to get better because... There simply just aren't a lot of people in that 1% of 1% to play against. I was about to say, so there was something similar to this back in 2005. So probably one of the best sports games of all time, NFL 2K5. It had what was called VIP profiles. And the VIP profile actually tracked everything that you did in the game. It tracked how much you ran the ball. It tracked how much you threw the ball, who your favorite receiver was. How did you run the, like it tracked everything that you did and it created a profile 
that your friends could then play in offline games. It was so cool that they even had celebrities create their own VIP profiles and they had a tournament that you were able to play all of these celebrities and they had them record lines. Like this is 2005 in a video game, by the way. Wow. So like they already did something very similar to that. I can only imagine with today's AIs, what you would be able to do as far as tendencies go and think of them creating like a top 100 list for rocket league. And then you being able to select who on the top 100 you yeah. play against. Or you could create a team of the top 100 and then, you know, you and Dave could just, you know, constantly be practicing against them to get better and to try and hopefully beat them. Like, that's an awesome, like, idea going forward for the future. Somebody, you know, copyrighted. We're, we're copyrighting right now. Crossfire copyright. <laughs> uh, AI trainers in uh, online games. Uh, we just copyrighted it. That This is our our whole thing. We're submitting it. And uh, Russ, I don't gonna, know if we're we gonna, can copyright AI ideas. We can. We just did it, Dave. We just oh, did okay. it. It's called, it's called Crossfire Bot. It's going to be a trainer in all online have, multiplayer games. We actually have a Crossfire Bot in our Discord. I think it just like well, welcomes people Discord. when they join. But yeah, it's not. It's not very smart. It's not, it's not very smart. All right. Well, last grounded question, and then I think we'll okay. close. Yep. Uh, Russ kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, uh, but I was thinking specifically when he was talking about you know, difficult AI opponents. We have seen some things like this uh, in the past in some games, and I'm wondering if we're going to see more of it. I'm thinking specifically of there's a roguelike called uh, Smart Kobold that has a very uh, intelligent AI, and probably one that more people are familiar with would be the Shadows of Mordor games that had the Nemesis system. And I'm wondering if you guys think that we're going to see a lot more of that. We should. I don't know why we have it. That's the best part about that game. The Nemesis system was the coolest thing ever, which, by the way, if you want to hear a really quick short story on the Nemesis system, um, the Nemesis system and Shadow of Mordor were originally supposed to be implemented into a Batman game because, again, WB Montreal, WB, they were all sharing with Rocksteady and Arkham games. So originally, the Nemesis system was created to eventually be implemented into a Batman game, which makes sense because you have like thugs and you have your your uh, villains and you have all that stuff. I am shocked that nothing has used the Nemesis system since. Like what are we doing that was one of the coolest implementations and coolest gameplay mechanics? I absolutely believe we should see it again and I hope we do. I haven't heard anything about it since the last game didn't do so well uh as far as, you know, the the Shadow of War game mostly because of the controversy with uh, loot boxes. But, I mean, that was such a cool gameplay mechanic. I recommend everybody go check out Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War um, because the, the Nemesis is just such a cool aspect to it that really made that game um, that much more fun um, than, than what it would have been without it. Well, and it wouldn't surprise me to see developers taking things like AI chat GPT and mid journey style, you know, who's the person out there that's having the seed of an idea right now that we're going to see in production five to 10 years from now coming out on the shelves where, you know, I don't, I'm thinking like the games like uh, stardew Valley, right. Where like half of the game is like relationship simulation and, and you know, Oh, well this person likes cake and that person likes plants. And so you get, but what if that was all 
a much more intricate AI doing that because it's hooked up to some sort of machine learning cloud based thing. So I think it'll be fascinating to see how this changes the enemies in games, the friends in games, the teammates in games, um, or, you know, how you play the game yourself because of whatever input goes into it. So I think where yeah, we saw games you... go procedurally generated, there will be a new future, uh, you know, AI revolution of how games integrate AI in multiple ways. Yeah. Imagine if you played, you know, an RPG where the lines were never repeated, right. And the characters still said things that make sense, but you know, you didn't get the constant, like, same line over and over again of like, I have nothing left to say to you. Right. Instead, the character would continue to, to tell you things. Um, and you could just like in, play the game, in just the voice of one the voice actor. Like, because you can generate about, voices. Maybe. Just think about this though. Like think of all the games that have choices and have different branching paths, you know, quantic dreams games. Can you imagine if we get to the point where AI is smart enough where you'll get like 10 different options and it could lead to a multitude of different, like actually affecting the ending. I like to say that all the games out there that have quote unquote, like different endings based on the choices you make. Yes, but there's a limited amount of like four or five, you know, different endings that you can get to. There's never that true feeling of like, I completely was in control of my story. That was Russ's story. That was Brian's story. That's and, something that would be just unimaginable. And yet, I wonder if it if there's too much possibility. I'm thinking Minecraft and or No Man's Sky. If the infinite possibilities become meaningless, because in No Man's Sky, I could go into billions of galaxies or whatever it is, and yet. I don't know if it's that interesting in some ways, the potential thousands of, of worlds in Starfield sounds a little bit more interesting than the nearly infinite worlds in no man's sky. I don't know, but similar yeah. to this conversation, if we just go on forever, then, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe people will lose interest. <laughs> I'm going to drop one last thing in here. What's that? <laughs> I'm going to drop one last reference in here. Go for it. Uh, in terms of, you know, infinite narrative, there is a thing out there called AI Dungeon uh, that you can go play. It is a infinitely generated text adventure powered by deep learning. Uh, so if you're interested in this idea of what if an I, I had an AI that just made up the narrative as I go, that thing already exists. It's maybe not as good as you want it to be, but it does exist. So fascinating. Uh, maybe check that out too. Okay. Excellent. Well, uh, I want to just wrap us up by saying uh, this has been fascinating and fun and I've loved every minute of this. Um, if you want to have conversations like this with us, uh, jump onto our discord, uh, not just the, the three of us, but you know, there's a ton of people that join us on discord every week, Monday nights at eight 30 mountain time. Uh, so go check out our discord at discord.crossfirecast.com. Uh, find us on Patreon. We're Patreon, uh, church for gamers, uh, you can find all of our links on our social media. And I think usually I link them down below in the comments. So just thanks for listening. Thanks for watching whichever medium you participated in. We're glad that you're here. So, uh, as always, we appreciate you and God bless.